Hey there. So at midnight, I realized after finishing recording with Jared that the NVIDIA press conference was starting for Computex, and I might as well leave it up while I finish up work and do this file at the beginning so we have a fully informed episode about the latest announcements. And look, yeah, me and Jared watched the AMD press conference and then recorded the episode, and Jared actually already has a 6800M, so this is a very good broken cell con. Stay tuned for that, but... We didn't watch the NVIDIA one, and honestly, I really don't think we needed to. What what can I say about NVIDIA's press conference? We knew they were going to announce a 3080 Ti. We knew they were going to announce a 3070 Ti, and we knew the price was going to be annoying and that there would probably be something else like, you know, doom ray tracing. Outside of that, I didn't see any real surprises. The only thing I will say about this is there's a link to something from Kepler on Twitter where he suggests that maybe the price increase from 1000 to 1200 was last minute. I actually think that could be true because there are a lot of people suggesting that the AIB models were not as marked up as usual about a month ago, but now we know that didn't happen. And look, $1,200, that's what the 2080 Ti cost, and NVIDIA can get away with it in the current market, so why not? Um, otherwise, the only other thing I will say is when it comes to the 3070 Ti, I kind of suspected the $600 price point just because, well, all evidence I saw was that if you increased the 3070's bandwidth by 20% or more, which they have by adding GDR6X, that you would get pretty close to that much performance if you also push the core. And the 3070 Ti is a 290-watt TDP, both because GDR6X is so goddamn inefficient, uh, relatively speaking, and also because I do think they're going to push the core. So I guess what I'm saying is this. NVIDIA's argument for the 3070 Ti will undoubtedly be this. Hey, we beat the 6800 when you're not running out of VRAM. And I, I actually do think they might. I, I think that with the extra bandwidth, the extra, you know, 5 to 10% push on that core over a 3070, you could see something that is 5 to 10% stronger than a 6800 when it doesn't run out of VRAM. NVIDIA will say, yeah, it's $20 more expensive because it's a little stronger. No one needs the VRAM. Yeah, except that you will. This card would be so perfect if it was 600 with 16 gigabytes. Honestly, even like... 650 because it would actually be closer than a 6800 XT than I think a lot of people would suspect, but it's not. You know, it's for around the price of a 6800, you get less VRAM and a little more performance. Kind of the inverse of comparing the 3070 to the 6700 XT. And well, it is what it is. There's a lot of ARM stuff, and I really don't have anything else to say. Enjoy the episode with Jared's Tech talking about laptop design and thermals in the 6800 and mobility RDNA 2 series. The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am very excited to be joined today by my current guest. I'll let him introduce himself. I'm uh, Jared from the Jared's Tech YouTube channel, and I mostly cover gaming laptops. Also, some PC tech from time to time, but yeah, mostly focus on the laptop side of things. Uh, that is a question I actually have here. I'll just ask it right away. Um, 
why laptops? Most channels just focus on the same graphics cards with your whatever, right? A 10900K or, you know, desk, you know, testing system. Like, it's very hard. People pointed you out to me because you did really good. And I agree with them. Laptop reviews that are straight to the point telling you everything you need to know. It's very hard to find that. What made you choose becoming a laptop review channel? Yeah, well, it's kind of what you just mentioned, really. Like, there's less competition in the space, so it's much easier to kind of grow a channel when no one else is really doing a very good job of it. I mean, there are other people doing a good job of it. I'm talking about like five years ago when I started, so I'm not throwing shade at anyone in particular or anything like that. <laughs> but yeah, back then it was definitely uh, much easier, and I just found that I enjoyed it over time and just never really turned back. So yeah, I still do the like regular mm. PC stuff because I'm personally interested in that. Like personally, I watch most of those channels myself, like Hard Run Boxed, Gamers Nexus. Mm. I, I do watch some laptop channels, but yeah, personally, I watch more of the like desktop PC side. Well, yeah, it's funny how I've kind of turned myself into like a leaker channel and I still watch lots of channels like yours, um, hardware unboxed and such. And unfortunately, once you specialize in something, I've found, yeah, you watch less of the same type of content just because, I mean, it's all I do on my own. So it's almost like it, it's almost like a combination of I don't want to see the same thing I just spent eight hours working on, but also I almost don't want to cloud my opinions by someone else's. Do you find that with like laptop reviews? Yeah, I have noticed that. So I don't mind watching people's reviews if I've already covered it, but I don't like watching them if it's something I haven't used yet, because then I like going mm -hmm. into something with like a fresh mind and, you know, how's this thing going to work for me? So if someone else is saying, here are these problems I have with it, then, you know, maybe I'm more likely to go, to, go out of my way and look for that when I'm not otherwise actually going to care about it. There are some cases if it's like a popular issue, I guess, and like a, mm. if a big channel brings it up, you know, people in Discord will message me about it and say, oh, what do you think about this? And in that case, you know, I'll have a look at, have a look at it and I'll see if it is actually something that I think is a problem and yeah, address it based on that. So let me ask you this. Where do you come from? I mean, I usually like to ask my guests just a little bit about their background. I mean, like, where are you from? Uh, you know, what what did you study, if you're willing to say, and what got you into YouTube just in general? Yeah, so I'm from Australia. Um, mm -hmm. Like 10 years ago, I did a uh, just a general IT degree at the local university. After mm -hmm. that, I started working uh, like help desk kind of stuff, just like IT fixing stuff. And after that, I eventually moved into uh, system administration, so managing servers and virtual machines, that kind of stuff. And then after that, uh, I got more into the security side and I worked as a penetration tester for two or three years. So basically ethical hacker, I guess. Um, so that was, oh. that was actually really fun. And that was when I started the channel. Um, and basically what ended up happening is I just liked working on the, the YouTube channel more <laughs> than hacking people's websites. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'm glad you could come here today. I, we were going to record sooner, and you mentioned to me, uh, maybe we want to wait for some other stuff to be revealed. And at first, I was just, you know, laser focused, working on whatever, and like, no, 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 keep the time, I'm busy. And then I immediately went, oh, wait a second. Uh, aren't, isn't there a keynote where I'm aware they're about to reveal all this mobility stuff? We might be silly to not. I mean, it's pretty late where I'm here. I'm really glad you were able to, like, work around this. Um, and record right after AMD's Computex presentation. Um, I, I, I suspect that's what a lot of people are excited to hear us talk about first. 
And I, I, I will say, no matter how hyped you were for AMD's presentation, um, which I try not to get hyped anymore because sometimes there's no, they're complete nothing burgers. This one was not a nothing burger. This one, I, what's your initial reaction to, I mean, it's just like 42 minutes or something of everything AMD went over today. So it's hard for, even though this only just happened like an hour or two ago, it's hard for me to mm-hmm. think of initial reaction because I actually heard about all this information like a week ago. So mm-hmm. I've had some time to think about it, but thinking about what I was thinking of a week ago, I guess I was thinking, you know, if this turns out to be true, then in regards to the, like the, the laptop GPUs performance, um, if this turns out mm-hmm. to be true, then it's probably going to be a pretty big deal. Well, what about FSR? Because I think that's something, at least when I looked at my fans, you know, and the Moore's Laws did Discord, that is, they were completely blown away by that. And I got to say, even though I thought I knew basically every detail, the fact that they actually showed a 1060 running FSR right now, that for me was like, wow, so this is a complete showstopper here, what they're revealing. Yeah, that was cool. And I noticed in the live stream that that seemed to be when the comments went the most crazy. Everyone was just like, FSR, FSR. So I guess uh, that goes to show what people are actually interested in. Um, I mean, I'm interested in testing it out, but I'm also kind of concerned, like, how much extra how much extra work it's going to be. Like, do I test every game oh. with it on, with it off, with the mm-hmm. different setting levels? Like, I already test, like, 10-plus games per laptop if I'm doing that. On top of that, it's just not going to work out. So it might be a case of just pick one game that's a good example of it, and that's that's the way to go. I don't know. Yet. That's what I was going to say. You know, like, I think you see a lot of websites doing that. They just do, like, one ray tracing test off to the side or two instead of doing, like, 10 games with it on and off at every resolution. Um, but, well, well, let me ask this, though. What did you think about NVIDIA's DLSS when it was first announced a couple years ago? I don't think I thought it was that big of a deal at the time. I just remember thinking like, oh, okay, there's like one or two games that kind of might have some improvements sometimes in some scenarios. I mean, obviously it's much better these days. But yeah, back then I just I just remember thinking like, you know... I got, Almost three years later though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, geez. So I was... I remember I was in the audience when the uh, RTX announcement happened, and I was just like, oh, cool, you know, they're hyping it up, sounds great, sounds great. But then, yeah, over the following months, just didn't really deliver on what they said. So, yeah, initially, I, I just remember thinking, this doesn't sound that interesting. Now, obviously, now, two or three years later, it's a bit of a different story, especially with DLSS. It actually is pretty uh, useful. How, how much of a... What do I want to say? Before AMD showed off FSR today, though, how much of a situation really was it? Because that was still something, like if you were to ask me to frame kind of what I'm getting at, if people ask me what I thought about DLSS, I would say, well, it's a real problem for AMD now, kind of. But it's still not like a deal breaker. Like how many games actually still use it now? And I think a lot of people miss that in the games that use it, you are kind of already getting crazy high frame rates in some of them. Like I could count on my fingers, maybe not even an entire hand, you know, how many games it actually made a huge difference. Like, is that how you see DLSS right now? Or do you see it as this gigantic thing that AMD did need to address immediately, not just soon? Well, I think it's 
the kind of thing where just over time the amount of games that actually support it builds and builds and builds and it, it's probably starting to get somewhat close to the point where a lot of popular titles do have it so without having some kind of competition i mean you've got to you got to do something at some point you can't just like leave it for another five years and hope it goes away kind of thing but yeah what you were saying with um like the performance boost like so yeah there's like dlss in fortnite for instance i mean mm-hmm. you need like a, an rtx card to run that right so what's that like minimum rtx 2060 i mean i'm sure you're going to yeah. be running fortnite max settings on a 2060 even without dlss so i think it comes well the way i personally see it and this is why every time i test uh, dlss i always use ray tracing as well because to me i think they're just meant to go like together hand in hand so you get the benefits of ray tracing and then in order to offset the negative performance from that you throw in dlss on top i you know i don't know i'll just speak for myself you know i actually put out a video about fsr before amd had the keynote because i generally knew most of the details which is you know this is going to be something that focuses on everything using it you know my perception of dlss a major problem that i have with it is it's basically like oh if you use dlss in these few games, your 3090 now runs 4K better. But if you run it at lower resolutions, not so much. And a lot of the lowest end GPUs can't even use it. Whereas AMD is focusing on bringing reasonable performance and image quality to everyone. AMD uh, APUs, uh, well, all everything, right? Everything. They even showed it running on a 1060, including consoles. And that their pitch to devs is this will be easy to implement. Maybe it isn't like literally some DLSS implementations like in Death Stranding actually make the image look better than not using DLSS. So this isn't about making it better with a smaller performance boost on a super high end card. This is about making it so everyone can have reasonable performance in the latest games. And I I honestly think the pitch AMD just made today, again, assuming it turns out well, we need to wait for third party benchmarks, of course, but it kind honestly, my my initial reaction is that Nvidia's DLSS is almost dead now. Like it isn't really dead, but I don't. Every developer I've talked to, everyone I've talked to who's talked to developers, says that it's crazy easier to implement than DLSS. They don't even want to bother with DLSS unless Nvidia programs it for them themselves, and often Nvidia does. But now that it's supported on everything, even NVIDIA, why would they even bother with DLSS unless NVIDIA paid them to use DLSS? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like, that's definitely going to be a killer aspect of it, the fact that it can run on older hardware, especially when people can't necessarily buy the latest and greatest hardware at the moment anyway. So being able to get a performance boost in newer games that can implement FSR, that's it's definitely going to give them quite an advantage. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens because i mean i don't actually know on the implementation side of things but if it is easy to implement compared to dlss then yeah i can't really imagine why like someone would pick that over fsr given the choice in terms of like game development i mean right and the craziest thing that i've been told is that there's evidence amd is planning to have specific hardware acceleration they don't really have it yet it works on everything but that they are building part of rdna3 to accelerate fsr better than everything else and it's funny to think of what that would mean it's like they kind of just sidestep the whole competition situation and go no 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 everyone uses this even you you can use it nvidia by the way though now that it's the standard (laughs) we run it better than you and you kind of have to make do with it um that's 
which, you know, we'll have to see if that's what ends up happening. But I I, that, I do believe that's AMD's master plan here. And and this just seems like such a way better thought out strategy than like G-Sync versus FreeSync ended up. Yeah, if that, like I, I hadn't heard about new hardware potentially accelerating it. So if that's the case, then yeah, I could see that strategy working out quite well in future. So I guess then um, moving on, I mean, what did you think about, well, let's cover one thing quickly before we move on to something I suspect we can talk about a lot. Saison desktop. I think everyone expected that to be announced today. What about the pricing? Uh, what did I write down? I think that said $360 for <laughs> that eight core APU. I don't know if you have any thoughts about Saison desktop in general or the pricing they announced. I personally haven't tested any APUs, so I can't really speak too much on it. But yeah, it seems like you mean Saison ones. Oh, just any, like APUs are an area that I just haven't really spent any time testing personally, but mm-hmm. it sounds like it's something. Well, well wait, they're in some of your laptops though. Oh, yeah. I mean, you mean like on desktop I mean desktops, or something? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just want to be clear to everyone listening. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, even with laptops, integrated graphics, I don't do too much testing in because most laptops are generally paired with uh, discrete graphics. Like the mm-hmm. tests that I've done. Uh, to test integrated performance, I have to end up disabling like the discrete graphics just to get that done. So it's not really like how you would actually run the machine anyway. So, but outside of that, though, like the one thing I just want to throw in this episode, since we're on the subject of the keynote, is when I saw three hundred and sixty dollars, I thought two things: that is a lot more than they used to charge for those APUs. At the same time, what are they even competing with? Everyone, I mean, and. It probably is the best gaming processor outside of everything above it anyway. So uh, I don't know. I just think until someone gives AMD a reason to price it lower, they can just do that. Although, again, that the margins on those on the $360 APU, it's a monolithic chip on a really reliable node now. They, they have to be making massive margins on that thing. Well, let's move on to something I bet you can talk about a decent amount. Um, the 6800M and 6700M, you said you were impressed by the what they showed there. Yeah, so I was impressed by what AMD showed, but at the same time, you know, anyone that tests games probably recognizes that pretty much all the games they showed in the presentation were all games that generally favor Radeon like mm-hmm. Borderlands 3, I can't remember the others, but, you know, all the, the usual suspects. But even so, um, they definitely looked much more competitive compared to what they've had in previous generations with, say, the 5600M, for instance. Are, are we allowed to say, I believe you already have a laptop with a 6800M behind you, don't you? Yep, that Asus one just there is the Strix G15 with the 5900HX processor and 6800M graphics. Can you say anything about the performance yet compared to what they showed at the presentation? Like, is it performing? Is this why you're hesitant to say anything because of you have different results on average than what they showed? So I actually published a video about an hour ago showing gaming performance on that laptop, though I only covered three games because I just wasn't a whole lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, I found the performance to be a little under what they showed. So, well... I guess that's not too unexpected. I mean, presentations, <laughs> they always want to make themselves look good. But so they were showing 6800M kind of 
3070 to 3080 tier. I was seeing mm-hmm. it kind of a little below a uh, 3070 with a lower power limit because, of course, with laptops, you have to deal with like different yeah. power limits, which is a whole another mess. So I think 3070, you can have it... Oh, I can't remember what the minimum power limit is. might be 80 watts to 125 or 135. Anyway, uh, I had a 100 watt 3070 beating the 6800M in games like uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. and uh, Battlefield 5. And is that a 100-watt... I haven't seen the video yet. Is that a 100-watt 6800M then? Um, so it's hard to tell because the only way you can really work it out is, like, the way I test it is I run, like, a GPU-only stress test to work out right. how it... You know, what the GPU-only load is, but then I also throw in a CPU stress test at the same time because then you kind of get an idea of how it behaves under, like, worst-case load. So I found in a GPU-only test, it was running at 145, kind of up to 150 at the peak. But then uh, once the processor was also fully smashed at the same time, it was about 115 mm-hmm. watts on the GPU. Oh, so it is apples to apples, though, mo- for the most part, 100 watt versus 100 watt likely. If anything, the 6800M is higher than 100 watts. Yeah, I would say so. AMD did say it was like a, a 145 watt part, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's always going to depend on the specific laptop it's mm-hmm. in and how it's been tuned. And it's about at a what? It's about at the performance then of it's a bit below the performance of a similar powered 3070, similar TDP powered. Ah, uh, yeah, a little bit. But there are some reasons that that would be the case. So the first thing I noticed with this particular laptop is mm-hmm. um, the screen doesn't connect directly to the 6800M. So oh. the way most laptops work is the screen connects to the integrated graphics in the processor, and then the discrete graphics sends the frames of the game through that to the screen. And the reason that that's the case is so that you get better battery life. Because if you unplug from wall power and you're using your 6800M, um, it's going to use more uh, battery power compared to the integrated graphics on the processor. Now, maybe that's less of an issue with RDNA 2 because they did say in the presentation all the things about it being much mm. more power efficient. I haven't tested that yet, but generally in the past, like with the Intel Plus NVIDIA gaming laptop, for example, you know, you have uh, Optimus. So the Intel integrated graphics is what actually powers all the applications you've got running and that uses uh, less power. Then when you open a game, uh, the NVIDIA GPU renders the frames, sends them via the Intel GPU to the screen. But you have some laptops where you can disable the Intel GPU and the NVIDIA GPU connects directly to the screen, so bypassing essentially a bottleneck and performing better. Now, that's not the case on this ASUS laptop. So if you had a different model where you could disable the integrated graphics, mm-hmm. potentially you'd be looking at a further performance boost, making the 6800M look better than what it's showing in this particular machine. Well, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, then, at least based on what you have found, right, we're not making some giant declaration on all configurations here, but at least based on what you found, it seems like mobile RDNA 2 is around the same efficiency as Ampere right now. Yeah, it looks like it can compete against, like, the 3070 in some games. I mean, I've only tested three. Uh, There's more to be done. But, yeah, there's also... Uh, potentially a potential memory issue that I only found out about. Right. Like I was going to ask about that next, though. 
Right. So you want to go into that because that was something you wanted to discuss as well. And I think everyone should keep in mind that what you just said, maybe actually the RDNA 2 chip is slightly more efficient than the Ampere one because of memory timings in this laptop. Yeah. So I literally only discovered this like 30 minutes to an hour before the presentation. And, you know, I literally just came on Mm. to this straight after. So I haven't had a whole lot of time to investigate this yet. But essentially, a couple of weeks ago, I had a completely different uh, gaming laptop, the Lenovo Legion 5 Pro. And that's a Ryzen-based machine, but it's got NVIDIA graphics. And so it's RTX 3070. And when I tested that out and compared all the games, I thought, huh, this is a bit slow. What's going on here? Because this is supposed to be like, you know, one of Lenovo's Mm. best gaming laptops. And the 3070 was like 10% behind other 3070s. I was like, something's not right here. So I looked into it a bit. Long story short, I found out it was the memory. So on paper, the memory sounds perfectly fine. It's um, two sticks of, two eight gig sticks in dual channel, DDR4 3200, CL22, single rank. I mean, yeah, you can get get dual, uh, dual rank memory for laptops and it does improve things, but single rank is pretty common. So I didn't think that that was the cause for the performance loss. What ended up being the case was it was the secondary timings on the memory. So Mm. the things that aren't on the spec sheets, basically. So you've got to run the software and actually dig in to find these types of things. So anyway, I put in a different memory kit that I have, which is just like a stock standard DDR4-3200 kit. Nothing special. It's not like ultra low timing or anything. I didn't spend a lot of money on it. And just using that memory, I was able to boost performance by 10%. So I did a whole video on that. And anyway, today I found out that the memory used in my Strix G15, uh, it uses the exact same memory kit as that Lenovo laptop. So it has the lower timings, Hmm. which means in theory, I should be able to boost performance in games at 1080p by like 10% just by putting my new memory in. Huh. And I, you mentioned that to me before we started recording, and I said, oh, that just doesn't surprise me even a little bit. That would be the fir- one way to cut costs right there. I mean, what do you put on the spec sheet? Cut everything else is usually what you see. I mean, heck, I have an NV15 that I found, or that many people in reviews found, outperformed with its 6-core i7 and 8-core i7 in a competing Dell XPS just because they decided to use vapor cooling and better thermal paste. And But Dell can claim they have an 8-core in the spec sheet and then cheap out on cooling. And it seems like, you know, what do you show? Oh, RAM, sometimes they make you say dual channel or not now on websites. And then speed, but not timings. This doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I just, I mean, I guess I should... Before going deeper into this, I should say Mm -hmm. that, you know, I only just found out about this at this point in time. I don't know if this is just my unit. I don't know if this is just review units. Mm. And I also don't know if it's models that are actually going to get shipped to customers. So immediately before this, I did actually watch one other channel's video, uh, Dave2D. So he has like 3 million subs and he did a video on this laptop too. And he showed the just like a quick shot of the internals and it looked like the exact same memory that I have and his in Canada. So it looks like potentially some, at least one other person has this same memory. Mm. But yeah, whether or not it's just the early units that were sent to reviewers or if it's what actually, you know, what paying customers will get, I don't know yet. I've uh, asked my AMD contact and I'm waiting to hit back on that. Well, I guess we'll have to see. I mean, it's a little unfortunate that... Uh, be- 
It, it's very interesting, honestly. Like RDNA 2 on paper is so much more efficient than Ampere with a lot of its products, but it does seem like NVIDIA keeps finding ways to make specific products as efficient as they need to be to stay competitive uh, with Ampere, despite, of course, going balls to the walls with their 350 watt plus 3090 that's the size of a game console by itself yeah to me it's just a bit strange like amd helped seed these units out to reviewers Mm -hmm. right they want to make their 6800m look good for launch and yet there's this one simple thing that can boost performance by 10 plus percent which in laptops is like a whole tier of gpu essentially well that's something intel focus on very heavily i know talking to some intel contacts is intel and maybe it's just because this is what they have to do right now but at least the way they portray it to me is we focus on the end product so you can say this one product from the competitor is better than ours at the end of the day you're buying a laptop not one cpu that's in it and that's why intel basically mandates really good memory on a lot of their products now so that you at least have some responsiveness advantage sometimes to amd who doesn't mandate that um, I, I know that I have much else to say about that, but I wonder if you've noticed that too when you're trying to do AMD Intel comparisons. Well, I have heard, so when you said that, the first thing that came to mind was uh, actually NVIDIA. So on the, mm. so you know how they've got like 3060, 3070, 3080 yeah. on the desktop side, then they've got the same names over on the laptop side. Yes, Obviously, I do. Obviously, the I laptop, side, <laughs> laptop side performs different due to power limits, but also the specs are completely different. But uh, yeah. I, I asked NVIDIA why that was the case, and they basically said that um, it's about the user experience, right? So a 3080 <laughs> it gives you the best user experience on a laptop, so it's not they don't really care so much that you can't compare desktop and laptop 3080. It's the fact that it's the experience on the 30, on, you get on the, on the laptop with the 3080, it's the best or whatever, and then the 3070, it's like a bit less experience, and yeah. <laughs> Did you ask them why they didn't do that, though, with Pascal and Turing, where they actually named them correctly to what their desktop counterparts were? I was hoping that would stay forever. It was amazing being able to actually know you're buying a real 1070 in a laptop. Yeah, it was good back then. I didn't actually follow it up. I was just like, okay, whatever. Maybe they just didn't care about the experience back then. (laughs) So I guess before we move on, though, I want to talk about one final thing that was in the um, presentation from AMD to just kind of put a bow on it. I mean, what did you, I will say there was one real surprise for me and it's that they actually showed off a 3D stacked Zen 3 chip at the very end. I mean, what are your thoughts on seeing that? Yeah, so that kind of took me by surprise. That wasn't something they like shared in advance or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that was also when I was like, flat out rushing to upload my video. So I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to the presentation at that point. I did see the, mm-hmm. it was a Gears 5 demo, the gaming performance of the, I think it was 5900X compared with that. Or was that something else? No, yeah, they did. They compared Gears 5 and they showed, if my memory serves right, a 12% performance boost comparing a Zen 3 to a Zen, I don't know, I'm just going to call it Zen 3D chip <laughs> right now. Yeah, Zen 3D, that sounds good. Um, yeah, I mean, Definitely sounds better than the the boost we saw with, what was it, like the XT uh, processors last year. Well, that's why I want to talk about that, though, because I've actually put out a video that was debunking Zen 3 Plus, because this was something where 
I don't know. The rumor mill was going crazy with like a Zen 3 Plus coming out a couple months ago. And I was just something I wasn't paying attention to. And and eventually I said, you know what? I think it's time. Let's just start asking some contacts. Is this a thing? And surprisingly to me at the time, a lot of people came back saying, no, no one's calling this. There's no Zen 3 Plus. And I was like, what do you mean? There's no, everyone's, so then what are those other leakers talking about? And they're like, I don't know, but I'm not aware of a Zen 3 Plus. And the one thing I could get out of one person at AMD is they said Warhol was a thing, but it wasn't Zen 3 Plus and it was canceled. So that's kind of what I want to say. One conclusion I came to in that video was that if there is some refresh, it's not being called Zen 3 Plus right now. And it's certainly not coming out like this summer or this fall. And if people might notice, Lisa Sue said showing that chip off today in production quarter four. That's not coming out this year. That's not coming out till probably quarter one. And she didn't call it anything but Zen 3. So I, I honestly think what it is, is it makes a lot of sense to prototype 3D stacking on Zen 3 before bothering with it on Zen 4 or something else. You know, you've got this working. Let's try it out first here before we try to put it in a main architecture. But also that if it does come out, I think what it will be is like, Zen 3D or something is what, or 3DX is what they might call it. Gotta have the X. And yeah, you go, well, I mean, right, you gotta have the X on there. Um, I guess they might call it Zen X 3D or something. Either way, right? We agree there's probably a 3D in the name. Um, And I think it could just be one set that they roll out because they plan to make a Milan X based on what I'm hearing, which is some special, you know, 3D stacked epic and they might use that for a limited run of like a flagship to keep the gaming crown that that's kind of what i'm expecting and i want to talk about that just because i think some people saw that i saw so many of my patrons just immediately go can't wait to buy that this fall no (laughs) you know things come out like a quarter or two after they start production and i i don't think i don't think it's something you're getting this year at least i don't know yeah, plus with like all the delays we've had lately, I feel like it's kind mm-hmm. of hard to guarantee stuff when things can potentially change. Like, it's yeah, a bit difficult. Well, and that's something I've heard repeatedly as well. Um, two things is that AMD is really struggling with w- if they should launch certain products. Like Van Gogh is an APU that was supposed, supposed to come out months ago. Where's my Threadripper? And, ne- well, and where's Threadripper? Think, well, they don't need a... For it. What would it be competing with? 28 yeah, exactly. again? You know, well, they don't need to launch it. You know, they could launch it. It's just Zen 3 Epic with a different name. Yeah. Like they could launch it if they wanted to. But, you know, that's just kind of what I'm saying is everyone should notice that she said prototype. This is a prototype that we're going to produce in quarter four. Mm. That's kind of what I think it is next to Milan X. And, and this makes me think Milan X will come out, but... It's not this year. It's coming out later than you guys would think. And I, I doubt it's going to be like some long running thing, probably just so they can say they still have the performance crown in gaming um, when Alder Lake launches. Uh, and I think there will probably be an XT refresh next to it. But the other thing is, I don't think it's going to be cheap, like at all. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, what I hear about the price of 3D stacked chips is very, very, very pricey. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I could, if it if it's right? You know, like 15% stronger or whatever, even 12% what they showed there than a 5950X. I I suspect they'll charge like a grand for that. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, they can, right? If the performance is actually good and it's the best and people are going to pay for it, 
I suppose they can. Exactly. And it's like, unfortunately, they probably can. <laughs> and it will have that cool thing of being like the first 3D stack chip anyone can own. So we'll have that cool factor as well. Um, let's take a step back here and go back to laptops then. So let's get to a reader mail. Melodic Warrior writes in just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon and says, Hi, Tom and Jared. In your point of view, what has it been like to see the progression of Ryzen laptops make since they debuted several years ago. P.S. I love Tom's content and yours as well, Jared. FYI, I'm getting a special vinyl copy of August Burns Red's Leveler. Are you interested in it? So I actually hadn't heard of them before uh, coming on coming on here. Uh, I did actually listen to a minute of one song just mm-hmm. briefly, and it sounded pretty good, so I'll check out more afterwards. Do you need him to send you it? <laughs> uh, not necessarily. I mean, I've, got, I've actually got the tab open on YouTube, so I'll just continue playing that after. His first question, right, before he got cheeky, I want to ask you this. What has been your thoughts on the competition in the laptop market in three different eras, right? So let's say before Zen, the bulldozer era versus Intel. And then what what are your thoughts on Zen 1 and Zen Plus versus Intel at the time? And, And then the current era, which I would just call the 7 to 5 nanometer Zen era versus Intel's 10 nanometer chips. Like, how would you classify your thoughts on the competition between them in those three eras? Yeah, it's almost kind of crazy to think about where AMD has come from. When I started the channel five years ago, I don't think I, I don't think I could get AMD laptops at all. Like I started with um, right. it was Skylake, I think. So the first laptop I ever covered on the channel was sixty seven hundred HQ, which was a quad core Skylake, and I don't even know when I got the first AMD machine. Was probably like a year or two later, and it was like a one laptop a year kind of thing. And it wasn't very impressive, wasn't that great. I think that was Zen 1 kind of time. And then uh, with Zen, Zen 2, um, so like the 4000 series on the mobile side, it's great that the, the laptop and desktop numbers are all different. I guess they're the same now, all on 5000. But anyway, back then it was like the 4800H and 4600H. That was when they really kind of took the first step to becoming competitive and were actually ahead in many cases. Yeah. yeah. So in, in multi-core performance in particular, it was it was an easy win for AMD, even compared to Intel laptops that had the same core count. But also back then, Intel was only offering, you know, eight core chips in like the most expensive premium machines. Meanwhile, AMD is like, here's a budget laptop, well, not necessarily budget, but you know, like a thousand dollars plus cheaper and getting more performance. It was kind of a big, big deal. And now it feels like Intel eight cores are, much more common than they were. I mean, still pretty pricey, but before it was only like the top end models. And now I've got got some Intel A core laptops with like RTX 3050 graphics. Like I wouldn't have wouldn't have thought I'd, yeah, I'd see ever that imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. The, just a couple of years ago. The the way I always bring up my thoughts on like the um shall we say bulldozer through excavator era for AMD and laptops is what you said like you just they weren't in them like you couldn't you couldn't get them and the exa- and I remember there was one excavator APU that actually had really impressive graphics performance and it was just you know a quad thread but you know it was good enough for the integrated graphics and I literally could not find one 
one laptop with that APU model. I just gave up and got, you know, an Intel one. And then after that, we've just seen Intel adding threads to their mobile lineup since, uh, what is it, like KB Lake R or something like year over year at a rapid pace. Yeah, I guess they have to to keep up, which is perfectly fine by me. It's what happens when you have competition, I suppose. Yeah. How would you classify, because you've reviewed some of these, the current situation specifically, like thinking of like Cezanne and Renoir, Lucian, I guess, too, which is really just Renoir, versus Tiger Lake. Like, how do you see, like, if someone were to say, what's better, Cezanne or Tiger Lake? Like, what what would be your answer? Uh, I hate this to be the answer, but it depends. <laughs> depends on what you're doing. Uh, that said, I haven't actually compared um, both of those, like, Fairly side by side. I do actually have two laptops here that are in the like exact same chassis. Only difference is one has the 5800H and one has mm-hmm. the 11800H. Yeah, that's the right name. So same core. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yep. So same same core count. Um, basically, I should be able to fairly compare performance, thermals, battery life, all that. Just haven't got around to it quite yet because there's a lot of stuff here at the moment. But that's something I will be working on. When I compared. Uh, I did the same comparison, but with uh, Comet Lake, so 10th gen, and basically AMD was winning, you know, in productivity workloads, multi-core, all that sort of stuff. But I did find that the Intel laptop was slightly ahead in most games, but at the end of the day, it's like, I can't remember the exact differences, but it was like single digit, like percentage gains. So it's like, mm-hmm. is this something you're actually going to notice while actually playing the games? In most cases, no, probably not. Uh, but, you know, that might change with Tiger Lake. So in the small amount of Tiger Lake testing I've done so far, uh, some games like, you know, CSGO and Far Cry 5 that depend on the processor, they do see big gains, but then most others I was only seeing like really small differences, but yeah, still need to actually do the fair side-by-side comparison testing to be able to say for sure. You know, from my perspective, we've had very good CPU performance in laptops ever since Renoir came out anyways. I mean, what we needed was eight cores running at four gigahertz, frankly, six cores actually. And once that was standard, it's enough, right? Yeah. Let's be honest. The GPUs and laptops is definitely going to be the bottleneck before those CPUs are. Um, but the problem was that Intel still gets way more contracts and their eight cores tend to use 100 watts versus AMD's 35. And I, what excites me about Tiger Lake is they can finally move an eight core down below 50 watts if they want to that has reasonable performance versus AMD that you don't feel like you're getting shafted in efficiency at full load a little bit by Intel if you're forced to buy that, which I, I do still have to bring up, though. I mean, forced to you a lot of times now, it's still just a matter of, well, I like that design the most. Guess it has Intel, you know. I think that's usually what it comes down to more so than picking the CPU. Although it's again, you couldn't even get excavator APUs if you wanted one, so it's better now. Yeah, well, it's much different this just even this year, this most recent generation with uh, Ryzen five thousand. Prior to, well, I guess in twenty twenty, the best GPU you could get with Ryzen was NVIDIA RTX twenty sixty, like twenty seventy mm-hmm. and twenty eighty. They just didn't exist with Ryzen at I'm all. I'm told that wasn't a mistake, by the way, that there was kind of a mandate going on. That's what I, I heard from a few people. There was like, by the way, you better not put anything stronger with an AMD CPU. Yeah, so I reckon it's definitely not a coincidence. At the same time, I have 
I know someone who has reached out to AMD and asked AMD if they mm. thought this was something that was going on. And from the AMD perspective, they didn't think so. But, you know, who knows what the other guys are doing. But, yeah, it does seem extremely strange, especially given the reason that I was provided with more often than not was the amount of PCIe lanes that Ryzen 4000 had between the processor and GPU. So mm -hmm. it was eight lanes of PCIe 3.0, right. I believe. But now with um, the next gen, like a lot of the laptops still have the exact same like eight lanes of PCIe 3, but we've st now we've got 3060, 3070, and 3080 mm. laptops. So that can't really be the reason why, why are we doing it now, but not last year. <laughs> exactly. The only other thing I would say, though, is talking to someone at Dell once, he said that you have to understand that a big part of it, at least from his knowledge, was that it's a marketing risk to put AMD on a $2,000 laptop. Because unfortunately, still, a lot of people see Intel on a two, dollars $3,000 laptop, and they're like, good. They don't realize that AMD is just as competitive there and that that was a major part of it. Yeah, there are definitely much more higher-end laptops this year. And honestly, I would have been shocked if that didn't happen. Because last year, just every single video I did on an Intel laptop, it was comments were like, no AMD, no buy. Where are the high-end AMD mm. gaming laptops? It's like there was obviously huge demand for it. So now the fact that it's happened, I guess most of the big companies are doing it now, doing high-end Ryzen laptops. There are still a couple that don't, like Gigabyte and possibly one other. Yeah. But most people are on board. Well, Razer doesn't really do oh, AMD Razer. at all yeah. yet. That was the other one. Yeah. Well, but we'll get to that quickly here, though, because I've got a few reader mails that touch on this. So King Atlas 347 writes in and says, why are there not more Ryzen laptops with USB 4 on them? I've noticed that if you want a good laptop with high bandwidth connectivity, you are pretty much limited to an Intel system. Well, yeah, because Intel supports that heavily. Yeah. So I don't know the full details because like USB is supposed to be like an open standard, right? But so far, we're only really seeing it when it's included as part of like Thunderbolt 4, which is obviously Intel at the moment. I mean, they say it's like, I, I hear both Intel and AMD saying things like technically AMD can support Thunderbolt 4, but no one's actually going out of their way to make it happen. Right. But like literally when I look this up, Tiger Lake was specifically built to have USB 4 and Thunderbolt 4 early. Like they built that into the SOC and AMD did not. Yeah. Right. So that's why. And and I think, again, people miss like how much of building laptops and in, in, the, in the in laptop competition, how much of it is building an SOC for a specific market. You know, like they have Tiger Lake H35 and below, and this is four cores, powerful graphics, connectivity so they can put it in a surface laptop and charge it with USB four. And then they have the eight core to be paired with dedicated graphics, right? Where like, this is something Intel's thought about. And that's why AMD is going to add USB 4 uh, with Rembrandt, which is APU should come out at the beginning of next year. But th that's why you see that is because AMD just hasn't put that there. Yeah. I mean, it'll be good to have more bandwidth, obviously, but don't have it yet. <laughs> Well, Arcane311 says, hey, Jared, love your videos. I have a question on your thoughts about RDNA and APUs. Do you think AMD may have made a mistake by not including RDNA into Renoir and specifically Saison by this point? Or do you think it's okay to use updated iterations of Vega? 
Albi at much higher clocks than before, but seemingly lower CU counts than expected. With RDNA at 8 to 12 compute units, I think Cezanne would have easily made a capable thin and light laptops when it comes to gaming without any dedicated graphics cards. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, but I'm just trying to recall. I'm re- so there's a video that uh, Tim at Hardware Box did where he interviewed um, one of the AMD guys when we went over to the US for some event last year. And mm-hmm. can't remember exactly what the question was, but it was along these lines, like, hey, why are you just refreshing Vega compared to you know, doing RDNA in the, in these processes. And from what I can remember, the reason was, I want to say it's because when they went from Zen two to Zen three, they basically, I can't remember which parts they changed. They just changed like some component and essentially just did almost a drop in replacement. So they didn't have to like redesign a whole lot. So it made, mm-hmm. it made that side of things much faster, but also I guess it might just be as simple that they were as they, they were just they were happy with the amount of gains they were able to get by those tweaks that they did with Vega. But yeah, I would, I'd suggest checking out that video by Hard Run Box because they've got like an hour interview with someone from AMD, and that's one of the questions that they cover. So yeah, and that's something I've I've seen this all the time. Like for example, AMD Van Gogh, which hasn't ever come out yet, and it might, but we'll see. Was Zen two plus an RDNA based, whether it's RDNA 1, RDNA, you know, putting up parentheses 1.5, RDNA 2, whatever you want to call it, architecture. Um, it was Zen 2 plus RDNA something. And then you have Cezanne, which is Zen 3 plus Vega 8. And a lot of people were going, wait, why would they not just do Zen 3, RDNA and everything? And it's, Vega takes up very little die space. And it performs pretty damn well with just eight compute units with the, I mean, they brought, I believe, around a 20% IPC increase to that version of Vega over the previous one. They publicly said that. So it's not like it's, you know, the same as what they had before. And with how small GCN-based compute units are, well, I mean, like the point of Cezanne is it's typically going to be paired with a dedicated graphics card anyway. So do you really want to make the die bigger, right, to just have that level of graphics? Um I guess if I'm giving my opinion, I don't I don't really think it was a mistake at at all, actually. I just think that maybe they should have had another option at some point, and that was supposed to be Van Gogh, but it never came out. But there's shortages, and they can't make enough chips, so was it a mistake? They're selling everything they make. Yeah, I think, I think 20%, well, I think it was 19%, it was somewhere around that area. Like, that much improvement for just, like, tweaking what they already had, I, I mean, this sounds pretty decent to me. Well, and another thing I, I pointed out in a recent video is I think you have to remember how much less money AMD has for design designing these chips compared to the massive budgets NVIDIA and Intel have. Like AMD, if you think about it, goes so they, they go to like Renoir with seven nanometer Zen 2 and then Vega 7 nanometer. Vega 7 nanometer was already designed for the Radeon 7. So they could iterate on that and put that in there. And then when they moved to Cezanne, the only part of the design they really needed to change was the CPU IP block in there. They could save money not messing with this other stuff and then, oh, does, did this work when we pair this with this? Do we, need, do we make one design mistake here? And then if you think about it, Van Gogh worked on adding RDNA to Zen 2... And that was practice to then bring out Rembrandt, which is Zen 3 Plus and RDNA. 
And then supposedly the I.O. die for Zen 4 is 6 nanometer and will have integrated graphics. So where do you think they got the practice for that? Is there kind of like very, what I'm proposing, is they're tactically doing little by little on one design at a time and then moving over the progress they made to the next product so that they don't have to spend all of this money doing everything at once, right? Because they just do not have the money Intel has to just make all of these radically different things at the same time. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense to me. Beefish writes in and says, Hey, Tom and Jared, I love both your channels. Always appreciate Jared's metal t-shirts. RIP Alexi Laiho. Hope I said that right. My question is for both of you and speculation on Rembrandt and laptops. With speculation that Rembrandt could include 12 CUs of RDNA 2, what kind of performance would you expect out of that? Are playable 1080p graphics with an integrated GPU coming this gen? Well, I mean, they, they already showed that off, arguably, with Cezanne in today's presentation. So if you think about it, you know. And again, I'd remind people that Vega in Cezanne is not the same as Vega on the Radeon 7. It has higher IPC. And RDNA 2 actually seems to have the same IPC as RDNA 1 if you have the same clock speeds as far as hardware unboxed found. So, I mean, I, I honestly think you're looking at like 40 to 50% more performance at the top. But if you throttle it, I'm curious if it's even less than that. I don't know. You know, I don't know if you have any thoughts on like, like, do you think we'll see more gaming laptops with just an APU if it's like 50% better than this? Or is it still probably not enough to just still throw in a dedicated graphics card? Yeah, it's... It's hard to say because at this point in time, I can't think of any you know gaming laptop that doesn't have discrete graphics because yeah, you do basically mm -hmm. need it unless you're going to run at 720p with like lower settings, which is essentially what you need at the moment for current APUs and laptops. I mean, it depends on the game. Obviously, esports titles you can go yeah. 1080p, but uh, yeah, it's. I guess it would definitely make an interesting product. I mean, the battery life would presumably be quite a lot better compared to a laptop with discrete graphics. And you could game on battery, yeah. right? Actually game on it. So I think it's more a case of that would need to exist first, and then companies can potentially make these new gaming laptops. But yeah, until there's actually something that can do that, probably not going to see like a APU-only gaming laptop, at least that's what I think. Yeah, I guess what I would say is if this comes out at the very beginning of 2022 and it is 50% better than what's in any APU now, maybe more than 50%, like what if it doubled performance? Who knows? Like it is on six nanometers, so it gets a little bit of a benefit from that. Like if it is that much better, I think you might have this narrow point in time where they're just like, oh, look, you know, it's better than a, you know, it's about an RX 470 or 570 or something around there. And that's really cool that that's just in an APU now. But then, of course, RDNA 3 and whatever NVIDIA is working on is going to drop and all of a sudden it moves down a tier and where it was. And in many ways, I almost just see it as keeping up with what the desktop iteration will be next year. Yeah, that would also make sense too. I mean, that's pretty much what's been the case. Like every new release, like there are gains with the laptop APUs each generation, but none of them have been anything crazy. So I guess it depends if it if there is a crazy boost. But then if there is, like by that point, a game's significantly better and need more resources, and then you're in the same situation where you can't run them unless you use like lower resolutions anyway. And games are going to get harder to run yeah. with like finally programming for the next-gen consoles and yeah. for getting the last-gen ones a little bit more. So, um, again, I, I kind of just see it as treading water until you see some, like, 24-compute unit RDNA 3 APU that really just goes for it and is allowed to use 100 watts by itself. I, I kind of, you know, 
doubt it's, I mean, it'll be better than before, but you know. Um, well, let me ask you this, though. We've been talking about AMD a lot. I think we've already covered everything there is to discuss right now about Rembrandt. You know, no matter what platform I use for a main benchmarking station, one thing that I always know will be true is that a long-term sponsor of mine, CDK Offers, will most likely be providing the keys. CDKOffers.com is a keys website with legitimate keys that supplies PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows software keys at a reasonable price for what you're paying for. Nobody wants to overpay for anything, including over $100 for Windows. You don't need to get a legitimate professional key of Windows 10 for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com and make sure you use the offer code broken silicon to get a big discount on Windows software and die shrink to get a reasonable discount on everything on the website go to cdkoffers.com today and make sure they know Moore's Law is dead sent you what what do you expect or what do you want to see even out of Intel Alder Lake? I mean, that should come out this year. I want to see something better in gaming. That would be nice. <laughs> the Tiger Lake performance I've seen so far, as I mentioned before, wasn't, well, let's just say it wasn't like what we saw on AMD when they released the new generation. Um, their productivity performance did significantly increase with Tiger Lake. So that was a nice boost, but it's almost like, cool, now you're almost on par with AMD. So it's like, mm-hmm. you've, you, yeah, you've caught up. So I guess with Alder Lake, I'd want to see, I, I suppose, that sort of boost, but, you know, again. So, like, give me give me another 20% now. So hopefully it's not what we saw with, like, uh, like 7th Gen, 8th Gen, and 9th Gen, and 10th Gen, I suppose. You know, there were only really small games there. So Tiger Lake did actually offer a significant boost compared to what we had previously in laptops, so yeah, if they can continue that with Alder Lake, then that will be interesting and things will definitely be a lot more competitive. Well, let me put forward this hypothetical. So based on what I've been told, it should be six cores plus eight, six big cores, right? Which should be 20% better per core than Tiger Lake. So already there you go. But it's only six, but then eight little cores combined. I, I think let's also put in the caveat, let's assume the big little thing works and isn't a scheduling nightmare for Windows. because. Yeah. We'll have to see for sure. But assuming that happens, I mean, well, there you go. 20% better per core and then eight cores for background tasks or probably helping with some of the games. That could. I think there is this narrow window late this year where Intel can make a very big splash in performance with Alder Lake relative to AMD. Yeah, and with the like six big core thing, like realistically, mm-hmm. the last time I compared six and eight cores in a gaming laptop, um, I'm trying to remember... I th- I think I did it with 9th gen, so a couple of years ago now, but back then, unless it's like a CPU heavy game, I mean, things might have changed in newer games, but back then, just a couple of years ago, like the performance difference was like two to 5% on average with like higher FPS with eight cores. So at that time, six cores on a laptop still seemed decent. And if you've got six cores that, you know, the single thread performance is like, I don't know how much better it would be since 9th gen going to 12th fair bit, I would imagine, based on the, the Tiger Lake 20% and that 20% you just mentioned with Alder Lake. Um, it could be a case that six cores is still enough for the games, and as long as they're fast, probably still going to do pretty good. Yeah, I mean, again, though, the, the question is if AMD actually... I, you know what, though? Alder Lake will be out before 
the Zen 3D thing. That's the only thing that I really think AMD threw that out there to just go in the background. Oh, we know Alder Lake's coming out, but also we have this thing over here that looks way cooler. They did also, yeah, they showed more information as well. Like I only caught a little bit of the Intel thing and they were kind of just mm -hmm. like, oh, look, here's a laptop that has Alder Lake. All right, moving on. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that they're even going to be able to show that much until they're like, sure the scheduling is working on windows because yeah. lakefield was the test case that was one big corn for little cores it was a disaster when it first came out based on what i saw in reviews there weren't that many reviews but they were there um what i've heard is that recently it works fine now like it knows to use the big core when it needs to and the little cores for the right tasks assuming that helped prepare microsoft for programming for alder lake um I still have to imagine there's a lot of kinks to work out in that what you're going to see is Intel confirm a lot of loose details. And then if it's working a month before release, they can finally show off all the benchmarks because now it finally works. And if not, it's going to be holding things close to the chest until launch. Although I would remind people how many problems Zen 1 had when it first came out. I still have problems even today, like just a couple of days ago, where like I run a game on a gaming laptop and depending on the configuration of CPU and GPU, it's still not smart enough to swap over and understand that, hey, I need to run this game on the discrete graphics. And by default, it will instead run it on the APU unless you go in and manually change it. So if you don't know what you're- Do you remember what the configuration was? I, I don't even need to know the exact model. Was it AMD or Intel CPU and then what As, GPU? So I have had it happen with Intel and NVIDIA, but it's far more rare. It's what, it seems to be way yeah. more common with AMD CPU plus AMD GPU. So I'm going to be honest. That's what I was going to say, too, is that unfortunately, I don't really see it anymore with the Intel NVIDIA thing, which yeah. is new. That used to happen constantly 10 years ago. It was a nightmare. But that I've heard that a lot of AMD laptops have that happen more often still. Yeah, it just seems so strange to me because it's always in like the same games and the problems existed mm -hmm. like for years in the same games, even though we've got newer CPUs and GPUs now. But yeah, I guess my point was like, we've got these games that still can't decide, they still can't run on the right GPU. I guess I'm just trying to think of how much extra work it's going to be making sure like your games are running on the right cores and, you know... <laughs> It sounds like it's going to be a bit of a nightmare for them to work out. That's not my problem. Hey, no one thought that Zen 2 would work out as well as it did, and it ended up working. That's all I tell people when they doubt if Alder Lake will be successful. Having said that, well, we'll have to see. Maybe it won't be, though. <laughs> so Benjamin Cannon writes in and asks, do you think multi-GPU and CPU dies will come to laptops? If so, at what point will it become realistic over one bigger die? And I, I think he's specifically referencing, like, if you look at AMD laptops, n well, I think there are some that have it. Actually, there are some laptops with a 3950X, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Uh, but they're very, very rare. Like, when will, like, do you think in, like, standard laptops will start seeing these multi-die approaches anytime soon? I guess it depends if they need to add more cores, really, because like at the moment, the laptops are monolithic design, but we still get eight cores. So potentially if they need to start offering 12, maybe that could happen. As for multi-GPU, uh, I hope not, because like just <laughs> dealing with, like I've had a couple of laptops in the past that had like two GTX 1070s, and just dealing with like yeah. SLI is like kind of a mess. So I always prefer just one like good GPU. I mean, there hasn't really been any improvements with like 
SLI and Crossfire, at least that I've heard, like most, if anything, there's been like less support for those sorts of technologies. So multi-GPU, I can't really see that anytime soon. It seems like it's getting less common. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's almost non-existent now, actually. Um, I, I would say that there are still these chips you run into from Intel where they like, it's two different chips, right? If you actually look at it, or two different like little dies, like for Tiger Lake, I think is um, where they. I think it's the PCH they divide off of the CPU for like some of the I/O. So it's like yeah. that type of stuff's kind of already there. If, if you're talking about, I don't know, right? The rumor is, and I've heard it too, that RDNA three has multiple GPU chiplets. Like, are they going to bring that to laptop? I think a lot of that comes down to like the market AMD is trying to address. So. Monolithic dies, if they're good yields, are just kind of more efficient than multi-die and take up less room. Like if AMD were to launch a multi-chip CPU specifically for laptop, not just, you know, someone shoehorned a 3950X into a laptop chassis, like then they're basically saying they want to go for like the $5,000 laptop market. And that's, I mean, they're just trying to get them to be used in the mid-range, which I guess now they're successful. Um, when it comes to the GPUs, it's really the same thing. Like, are people really going to choose Radeon graphics over NVIDIA in a $5,000 laptop? I mean, I might, but that's because I know which one's actually better. But a lot of people, I think, still just, I don't know. That's kind of what I would say, right? Is that it's, they can just make one eight core and cut it down into six cores for some models. And the benefits of having like a full 16 core aren't, like you said, how many people are looking for a 16-core laptop, really? Yeah, it's far less common, I can tell you that. So Sam Venzel writes in, Not too long ago, Tom, I had a small form factor case designer who mentioned he hated this question. Yeah, so this was the NFC episode of a Broken Silicon. He goes, why small form factor over a laptop? I think the counter question is, why sacrifice performance and value for mobility when you don't have to? Why do $5,000 gaming laptops exist? You're going to have to plug the thing in anyway, and a comparable desktop is far less expensive. So to say all laptops uh, like this are useless, but I really get the feeling that most people who want a powerful laptop would be better benefited by just getting a small form factor. Aside from that, why don't specific laptop, why don't laptop specific standards exist? I'd love to pick a laptop case monitor and components. Okay, so I, he's really bringing up two different things here. I mean, what, what would you say about when it's best to just make a small gaming desktop and like get a netbook or something instead of buying like a $5,000 gaming laptop? Yeah, so for me personally, I think the best mixture is like, high power desktop PC, and then a lower power laptop with good battery life that I can you know, take with me mm -hmm. when I'm traveling. That said, I think the biggest reason that people would go for something like that $5,000 gaming laptop, or I just refer to them as desktop replacements because honestly, some of them are like yeah. this thick, like kind of, yeah. kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually just- Thicker than some desktops. Some of them <laughs> yeah. are thicker than some desktops, right? Uh, I actually just, finished reviewing one that has the 11900k in it so that one was pretty massive anyway the way uh, i let keep going keep going yeah <laughs> so the way i see it is at the end of the day it comes down to whether or not you need portability and how much power you need when you're like out and about for instance so with a desktop replacement with like 3080 graphics and say 11900k in this example which is the machine i had <laughs> like there's absolutely no way i would be 
traveling with that. There's no way I would be going to school with that or work with that. Uh, mm. Mostly because the laptop plus its two power bricks weighed about 15 pounds. <laughs> That's right. It had it had two power bricks you had to plug in. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It wouldn't even charge with just one. So that's a different, oh my different topic. I mean, it'd be better if it did charge with just one, because then at least you only need to bring one brick instead of two. Yeah. It's getting sidetracked. Yeah, I think it comes down to whether or not you need portability or not. So some people uh, some people like the desktop replacement machine where they just sit it on their desk and it never moves. But I think they also like if they do need to move it, it is easier. So you can mm-hmm. just pick it up and it's got the battery and it's still running. So you can transport it. But I think that is definitely a f- like it's probably like the biggest like, niche in the laptop area. The people that actually buy those desktop replacement machines, I think almost no one is buying that type of five thousand dollar machine. Well, there is yeah. I I mean I'm just gonna say it. I would blanket not recommend anything that requires two power bricks. I don't care how good it is. Get just your what it, no it's just dude no like it's it might actually it might, it might actually take up more room than a really compact gaming desktop with a 3080 like it's it's the silliest thing i've ever heard of but what i would say is there is an interesting niche being carved out though by razer 16 17 inches some of these studio laptops that actually come with a 3080 uh mobility edition and you know a high-end cpu um, that's probably high-end gaming for most people there. You know, yeah. it's not really a 3080, but it's probably close to a desktop 3070. Yeah, something like and, that play games perfectly fine. You don't have to go $5,000 or anything like that. And it can use the, you know, and it has the technology to just use one power brick. Yes, um, advanced technology. Like, I think those types of things do exist for someone who has a lot of money to burn. Let's be honest, probably half the time they're, uh, companies paying for it for them. Um, and like, I know one person who does like on site heavy analysis on the data he gets there. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's why he, he wants that, you yeah. know, but he has no interest by the way, in a dual power. Oh, actually I think his is pretty large, but th- that's the one thing I would say is there is an interesting niche there where these 16 inch almost desktop replacements are getting thin enough where they're not a complete nightmare to carry around. Yeah, these days you can get so much power in something that's pretty reasonable for like significantly less than $5,000 that I don't think, yeah, I don't think people really need to go that route. Plus, I think a lot of companies are even starting to like not make those high-end models anymore. Like MSI had their GT76, which was their version of that. It had mm-hmm. the, oh, I, th- I can't remember if they did a 10th gen version with the 10900K. They might have. The last one I had was the 9900K model, and I asked if they were doing a, an 11900K model, and they basically said no at this time. So maybe they killed that one. Not too sure. Yeah, and I mean, I guess what I would say too, another big problem that I want to bring up about these like $5,000 laptops is I don't know about everyone else, but they tend to break every laptop within three years. Or like, unfortunately, and that's because if the motherboard breaks, it's all gone. All of it's gone. You can maybe salvage the hard drive for a future build if, you know, but if, you know, the CPU goes bad, the GPU goes bad, this whole $5,000 laptop's now broken, dude. So I tend to get, I, I, I mostly have a spending limit of 1500 and I get one every two to three years. 
I tend to actually try to aim for about a thousand or less for that reason, just that I know that these could break in a few years too. And if you spend five grand, my God, imagine that breaking. I think there's actually far less risk of that happening with these sorts of desktop replacement machines because what mm -hmm. uh, is often the case, so for instance, with the 11900K machine I just uh, finished with, obviously that CPU is socketable, so you can take out the processor which most laptops can't because most are soldered to the motherboard. But with this, in this case, with like desktop components, you can actually take that out, upgrade it if the processor dies or whatever. Uh, same with the GPU. In this case, uh, it's extremely rare these days, but uh, it used MXM. So basically mm -hmm. the, the GPU card yeah, yeah. sits in. So the GPU dies, you can take that out. Again, with most other cheaper laptops, GPU is going to be soldered to the motherboard. It's all one, one thing. So I think... In the case devil's advocate here though how easy is it to get another mxm gpu if it's out of warranty yeah I mean, you're I basically <laughs> spending a, a grand to get an old alienware one on and then you have to maybe bios flash it that i have to make a devil's yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> advocate argument there because people bring that up oh i have an mxm so i can update grade it do you want to upgrade it when the only people selling are <laughs> selling this because they know it's such a niche market on ebay at ridiculous prices yeah i, I agree with that but yeah, just wanted to say that with these type mm -hmm. of machines, I think there is more that can be replaced compared to, like, say, your Razer, where it's just one whole thing, everything's mm -hmm. stuck on, you can't change it. Yeah. And to be fair, I find that laptops are getting far more reliable lately. Like, just better in every way. Yeah, I can't remember. Like, I've, I mean, I've only usually test different models for like a couple of weeks at a time and then I have to return them kind of thing. So I don't really get to do long-term testing, but I have bought quite a few over the last few years that I still own and, mm -hmm. you know, haven't really had anything die or anything like that. Well, let me also throw this out there, though. Like, I have a expensive desktop, but it's anchored, you know, in like an upstairs in a house that's locked at home. You bring this laptop everywhere. What if someone steals it, though? Like, that's another thing. What if you drop it? The desktop's never going to break. It's just sitting on a desk in a, you know, in a safe place. I guess it's the, the final devil's advocate argument I'm going to make, though, is, man, if I had a $5,000 laptop and I was carrying it in public, I would just be, like, clutching it, like, so closely while I walk around. Yeah. Well, I guess most laptops have, like, Kensington lock slots, so you could lock them to, mm -hmm. like, your desk or whatever. But, Yeah. I can't, it's hard for me to argue this point because it's not something I would ever personally sure. get either. I'm just trying to right. bring up the points that I know people uh, think about when they pick these sorts of things. For me personally, like when I go to events, uh, when I used to go to events like CES and Computex. You and we were, yeah, when we could, yeah, yeah. I would bring just like a, a mid-range laptop with mid-range CPU and GPU and, you know, I can 4K edit my videos without any issue. Don't need any of this. When you can actually open it up, right? That's the thing I noticed on airplanes. Yes. Is like like the bigger ones, like if it's above, frankly, if it's above 14 inches, it's often hard to open it up mm. in a airplane seat. Yeah. Um, so I have a 15-inch laptop that I use for editing mm -hmm. video, but about a year or so ago, uh, I did actually buy just like a cheap 12.5-inch one just because it was so reportable yeah. and I could just, you know, just... Essentially, anytime I don't need to video edit, if I'm just doing like a short trip for a couple of days, and I just want yeah. some machine. I've just got this like ultra portable thing, and it's just it's way better than carrying around something ridiculous. Well, and in fact, the I, yeah, because I have an NV13 that's older as well. And when I was at Hot Chips in 2019, 
It's it's actually uses so little energy that I had a portable battery with an outlet on it that I kept in my bag, and I had it rendering videos based on the last presentation I saw while I was walking to the next event. Uh, this piping hot rendering bag as I walked. So like, there's just a level of portability there that when everything can be run off the battery, it's just worlds different. I think than uh, a bigger laptop, but. Tangential to what we're talking about, Peter Moore writes in and asks, do you think eGPUs will ever become more than just an expensive novelty for enthusiasts? So he's, yeah, it means external GPUs that Razer keeps hawking, you know, is this like enclosure you can put next to your, what is it, the Stealth 13 or something? Yeah, so I've done a lot of eGPU testing in the past, and what is pretty much always the bottleneck is the Thunderbolt bandwidth. So Mm -hmm. we did just recently get Thunderbolt 4, but it still has the same uh, 40 gigabit per second bandwidth limit as Thunderbolt 3. So that doesn't really help us in terms of eGPU, unfortunately. So until there's Thunderbolt 5, whenever that is, and hopefully that gives more uh, bandwidth. So the way companies have worked around this, um, so like Asus, for instance, they have their 13-inch Ryzen laptop, and they've got the Mm -hmm. custom PCIe port on it. So you can connect the eGPU with direct PCIe. And I compared that against Thunderbolt and it was significantly faster. Um, I guess the problem is, is there's no, well, there's no standardized PCIe external graphics that everyone's using. Like everyone's done their own thing. So Asus have made their own custom thing. Uh, Alienware have the graphics amplifier, which also uses a custom port. So that does perform better than Thunderbolt, but then you're kind of like locked into the Alienware ecosystem. So I think the problem is a mixture of not being enough bandwidth. And if you do want bandwidth with PCIe, you're kind of forced to either be like all ASUS or all Alienware. There's no, no one's doing like open standard PCIe eGPU. So I think that's what would need to happen. Yeah. And I'm trying to look at, you know, like what USB 4 allows. Like the problem I've always had with external graphics cards and laptops is it's always this thing I see in the comments of, oh, just wait for USB 3. Oh, wait for USB 3.1. Wait for USB 4. It'll add more bandwidth. We can finally do this. And it's like, well, yeah, but also now we're moving on to more powerful graphics cards with PCIe 4.0 that have even more bandwidth. We really are seeing like with the 5500 XT, it was bottlenecked. If you just used PCIe 3.0 times 8, you needed times 4 because it only had eight PCIe lanes, it lost performance. And that was just like RX 590 performance, you know? So the problem is that I have is graphics cards keep getting stronger and needing more bandwidth every time we upgrade the interface. And if it requires a, what, right? $500 enclosure, that's $500 you could have just tacked on top of your laptop price <laughs> and gotten a better graphics card with inside of it anyways. Yeah, this is kind of like what we were saying with the, the big $5,000 desktop replacement laptops. I think this is, it's just a, a niche that exists. So I think there's yeah. not that many people that are going to want to spend extra money just so that they can have their extra small and portable 13-inch laptop when they're, you know, out at work or school during the day and they come home and they dock with their GPU. I mean, it does sound good in, like, an ideal world when you're made of money and the technology works perfectly fine. But yeah. realistically, for most people, they can spend less money and get almost equivalent GPU performance by just mm-hmm. buying a regular gaming laptop that is probably a little bit bigger, 14, 15 inches. And I think that's just the way to go for most people. 
And now when you open it up in a hotel room and plug it in, it has the graphics card with you. Yeah. You didn't just lose that while you're traveling. Yep. Um, Peter Moore has a follow-up question. He says, do you think the advent of USB 4 will make eGPUs available for use on laptops with AMD? I think we already answered that. Uh, but then he goes, if so, will this allow companies like Razer, who have invested heavily in eGPUs and Thunderbolt ecosystem, to branch out and use AMD CPUs in some of their laptops? Could this be the reason why we are hearing rumors that Razer, one of the last major Intel holdouts, could finally be making the move to use AMD CPUs in some of their products? I hadn't actually considered that, but that's a pretty good point. Yeah, me neither. Because, uh, yeah, Razer are pretty heavy on the whole eGPU thing. They're one of the few that do eGPU with Thunderbolt still, because as I mentioned, like Asus and Alienware, they've got their custom PCIe things. So, yeah, if they're reliant on Thunderbolt, then I could see that being the reason why they haven't gone to AMD yet. Yeah, I, had, I hadn't actually thought of that. Yeah, I mean, neither. I mean, a large part of it, again, I think is just Razer has this, you know, very, you know, worked out contract with Intel for a good deal to get a lot of their CPUs. But the fact that they don't have all the same IO they've kind of standardized on, that's got to be a huge deal for Razer, actually, that again, like, like, you, I didn't consider that either when I thought about that. I Once they have Rembrandt, I think you will see that in Razer, but I guess, I guess we'll just have to see. Um, QH Freddy writes in, with Tiger Lake and Cezanne, it feels like we are stuck in an awkward in-between where if you want the best CPU performance, you need to go with AMD Zen 3 cores. But if you want good I.O., you need to go with Tiger Lake. What do you think are the must-haves, aside from availability, I guess, that would make Cezanne the unquestionable winner in the high-end laptop space? Yeah, I guess in terms of I.O., it's probably what we were talking about before, like USB 4 possibly Thunderbolt 4, but then at the same time, like how many people need Thunderbolt 4? Like, I guess it depends what you're doing and what devices mm -hmm. you need to plug in, right? Because there are a lot of laptops, like Ryzen-based laptops that have pretty much all the IO you could want minus Thunderbolt and USB 4. Like you can get HDMI, mini display port, Type-C, charging over Type-C, Type-A ports, SD card slots, like pretty much everything at least that I can think of right now, just minus USB 4 and Thunderbolt. Yeah, and I mean, those are things Intel has an advantage in, and AMD should make that better early next year. I mean, we've kind of been dancing around this question. Let me just openly ask, what do you look for when you're shopping for a laptop? What's what's the form factor you typically gravitate towards? The performance balance between GPU and CPU? It's funny, like a, a decade ago, someone might ask, do you need an SSD? I think your answer is yes. Um, you know, what do you look for in a laptop in general? Like for me personally or? Yeah. Okay, so for what I do, mostly I want my laptop for video editing. I mean, you could argue that the specs for video editing are pretty similar to like gaming laptop. So probably yeah. still pretty relevant to most people. Um, so what I personally look for, well, video editing, I want a nice screen. So for me, that's like good color gamut and good brightness. Yep. Generally, that comes at the expense of uh, lower refresh rate, though. So if you did want like a, a gaming laptop with a good panel, you might have to. There might be a trade-off there. So, uh, for example, the screens that have like the best colors and the best brightness, they're usually 4K 60 hertz or OLED. Yeah. But then, you know, if you could get like a 144 hertz or even 300 hertz like gaming display, they're still actually pretty decent. But if I was purely video editing, I probably wouldn't get that personally. Um, but yeah, still more than more than fine if 
you know, you're not serious, I guess, about video editing, but gaming is the priority. Like you're still getting in most cases, like 99% sRGB type of deal. So it's not like they're terrible or anything. It's just that like when I do video editing full-time, I suppose it's my job, I want like the best screen. So that's generally uh, my priority. And there really is a difference. I want to jump in here. Like I have a Concept D monitor for editing with my desktop. And it was funny how I had my old, <laughs> I had my old uh, screen and it was, if I wanted to edit on my old screen and I like drag over a thumbnail I was making, the color would just be different. Yeah. Like, it, like it, it really is actually important because you'll look at it and go, oh, that's not what that was supposed to look like. Yeah, like I'm at the point when I turn on a brand new laptop and, you know, it's got the like Windows is doing its setup thing and it's like got the blue Windows screen. Just looking at that, I can tell if it's going to be a laptop that has good or bad color gamut just because <laughs> I'm like, oh, that blue looks really nice or oh, that blue is not looking so good, which I found interesting. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what happens after like 100 plus machines. Um, Anyway, for the rest of the specs, yeah, SSD, obviously. I don't think any laptop I've tested in the last year has even right. had hard drive. It's. I, mean, I always thought it was ridiculous anyways, though, even a while ago, that people would be like, do I need an SSD? I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're doing, yeah. man. Okay, yeah, so we can obviously both agree on it's a night and day difference, but, like, the thing I don't get, I mean, I can understand it in, like, the cheapest gaming laptops possibly, but the thing that gets me is the hard drive bay just takes away from your battery space. So like, yep. I'd rather take the bigger battery. Yes. And most laptops still have two M.2 slots. Like even if it came with, say, a small, just use those, please. Yeah, it, yeah. Even, <laughs> if, even if it came with a 256 gig SSD, like that's on the smaller side and that had your windows, you've still got the option of putting in like a one or two terabyte drive if you want later, which I don't know, should be plenty of space. Um, for memory, I think 16 gigs dual channel, still a very good sweet spot. Uh, uh, gaming and laptops. Well, they charge an arm and a leg, right, for memory and laptops. So typically yeah. I find, especially if it's soldered on, right, um, no, I, I find it's just like at least 16, please, because I need it for editing, like I do. Yeah. You know? So I, I want 32 minimum in mine, but again, 4K video editing. But yeah, I think 16 is fine for gaming. If I buy gaming laptops to review, I just pick the lowest memory config, but that's because I have like spare memory here. So there's yeah. no point paying for it. But yeah, often. That would be the case for people actually buying them too, though. They can just just look at the like different memory configs available. There might be one that's significantly cheaper. It just has one eight gig stick. It might be cheaper for you to you know go on Amazon, buy a sixteen gig kit, put it in yourself, compared to however much it might be to get that extra memory. Um, just buying the laptop up front, so that can be a way of saving money and also getting better memory. Uh, as for CPU and GPU, uh, like I said before, I think. Like, honestly, I think six cores is still pretty good for gaming laptops. It's like your 5600H, still going to do quite well. Um, I like eight cores personally, but again, video editing, and I use Adobe Premiere, so the core count does actually speed things up significantly for me. Uh, as for the GPU, uh, GPU isn't that big of a deal for me, but that's just because, again, Adobe Premiere doesn't, doesn't really care too much about the GPU as long as you've got one. Um, Honestly, I think for gaming, GTX 1660 Ti is still quite good. And you can get laptops with that for like $800 these days. But yeah, other than that, if you did want something modern, probably RTX 3060 is looking pretty good. But yeah, you don't have to spend heaps of money to get something that's more than capable. 
Yeah, I usually gravitate towards the mid-range GPUs simply because I know I can get a reasonably thin, especially these days. I mean, especially when you saw Renoir come out and you have these 14 inches with 2060s and eight cores. That, for me, it's about minimums. What minimum level of performance do I need for gaming or editing? What, you know, what minimum amount do I need? And then just please, what's the smallest thing that has it for a reasonable price? Because that... Uh, God, it, I, I did have a desktop replacement in college, and this is when those were even more terrible than they are now, of course, um, when half of them were melting. Uh, and I just found when I had this like $200 Atom powered netbook, and I was using it more just because it wasn't a pain to move somewhere. So I always think like, what do you actually need? Is, and if you're actually going to travel with this, maybe trade a little performance for making it smaller. Yeah, so I learned that lesson the hard way too. I had a, when I was in university, I had a 17 inch mm -hmm. Dell laptop, and this was in uh, 2008, was when I started that. Yep. And yeah, I just remember <laughs> yep. carrying that thing around all day. Like when I bought it, I was like, oh yeah, this is great. So much yep. power. And Me then too. actually, the day to day carrying it around, trying to fit my textbooks in my bag with my laptop at the same time, lugging it around all day, it was just like, oh, I'm never doing this again. And that's why I don't do 17 inches anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. Uh, back then, uh, mine was HP, pretty similar to yours, except I think mine was 19-inch. Oh. <laughs> um, it was thin, though, but that just meant it melted at the time. It was an HP, and that's when HP, all of their laptops melted. Um, I'm trying to think, like, I think I had, like, 45 minutes of battery life. Like, what did you have on that thing back then? Honestly, I can't even remember. I think I was just always plugged in. I've still actually got the laptop. I mean, it is a lot bigger compared to like your 17 inch laptops these days because they have like, you know, significantly thinner bezels and they are smaller and lighter, but still I can't see myself going for 17 inches just because I prefer the portability, even if it means taking off some of that performance. But these days you don't even need to take off performance because 15 inches can still do very well. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what you're finding is once they move to better cooling, Again, using vapor chambers, like HP is making a big initiative to start doing that. Intel is just too in general with the designs they help uh, with the design with the OEMs. Like, I think you see that they are going to keep cramming these higher end GPUs reasonably without too much throttling into thinner and thinner things. And it's just, you know, that's what I would go for. Um, yeah. So Mango Bendito writes in and says, as a first gen Blade 15 owner, laptop CPU temps seem to have... Hotter running temps than desktop, you know, usually above 80 and then below 80 if you're on a desktop. This always had me paranoid about the days of molten plastic HP and Dell. It's all perfectly on subject. Do you think the market having a much higher temperature standard in laptops contributes to lower product life in laptops? P.S. This is geared towards the gamer crowd than the general computer crowd. So, honestly, 80 degrees, that's actually quite low for a laptop under load, at least from what I see, mm -hmm. like I'm always seeing 90 to 100. So 80 degrees, I think you're doing pretty pretty well there. Um, I actually noticed back when I started the channel when we were still on quad core, like Skylake, uh, I almost never saw thermal throttling back then because, you know, fewer cores. And obviously since uh, sixth, sixth gen, they just kept on bumping up the power limits to boost performance rather yeah. than actually improving much else. So back then, I can't remember what the first gen Blade had, but if it is one of those quad cores from like 6th or 7th gen, honestly, it's probably fine. If the temperatures have gotten higher over time, I'd probably look at changing the thermal paste because, again, if that is from that era, you've probably had it for a while and that's probably something you might want to change like every 12 months or so. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd be worrying about 80 degrees personally. 
Well, and I see this all the time. Like people just go, oh, my GPU, I just never let it get above 80 degrees Celsius. And it's like, yeah, but silicon's not going to take any damage until usually around 120 degrees Celsius. So like these are, this is just an element, guys. This thing isn't going to break at 100, even at 110. It just depends what that architecture was built to run at. Like the 290X was built to run at 95 degrees. Yeah, it depends on like what it, what the specs are, what it's rated for. Like a lot of stuff, as mentioned earlier, it'll just thermal throttle back if it gets too hot. So, I mean, it's not ideal because obviously you're losing performance, but at the same time, it's not, well, it shouldn't cook itself. So I don't think it's that much. I don't think it's that big of a deal that you need to worry about these days anymore. I mean, if you're at 99 degrees and you're throttling, definitely worth looking into because, you know, you can get the throttling the problem yeah. though. But, I mean, the throttling saves it from killing itself, so... Again, if you see 115 degrees, that's when you go, oh, no, this literally might break yeah. based on, you know, that's when, physics. That's when I'm like, oh, that, the cooler probably isn't attached. Yeah, but if it's below even 105, it's just about stability and performance. It's not going to break. It doesn't matter. All Different products are built to run at different temperatures. Like, again, the opposite would be the theory architecture from AMD literally needed to run at a lower temp than usual because it had this interposer HBM. It just wasn't stable, like above 70 degrees. It wasn't going to break, but it just wasn't stable. It's That doesn't mean that now every GPU or laptop you should buy, you buy, you must keep it below 70. Yeah. I think a lot of people are just not paranoid, but they see like the temperatures on like the desktop PC side of things and they think, oh, where's yeah. my 60 or 70 degrees? And then they go out of their way to like kneecap performance by like arbitrarily capping clock speeds and things like that just to get the lower number like in hardware info which to me personally i don't care at all how hot it's going to run i know it's just going to do its thing so just give me the maximum performance as long as the chassis itself isn't getting too hot which i guess in in razor laptops that might actually be a problem because the whole thing is metal so it does absorb the heat so maybe that does get a bit by design Yeah, so maybe that does get a bit uncomfortable there when using it. But for most, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Well, and I would also point out that the one thing you might want to say is that with the cheaper, not cheaper, but like the the la- I've had a lot of laptops with like MX150s, MX250s. I love the idea of like a 10 watt graphics card just thrown on top because it cost them like 20 bucks to make. And now I can actually game, even if it's just in 720p on this little netbook. The the thing is, though, they tend to run way better for the first five minutes and then throttle down to, like, half the clock speed. And I remember playing Battlefield 1 on an MX250, and it for the first five minutes, it was running actually, I don't know, 720p60 at medium settings locked. And then out of nowhere, it just started yo-yoing down to 30 hertz back and forth. And I found that I had to, and I have a guide on my uh, channel still people watch where it's like no you need to literally get this glitch in this one overclocking software to make sure it always runs at 800 megahertz because otherwise it will just start yo-yoing and it's the only thing i would say in laptops usually they don't do that anymore but that that really was a big problem on some like vega h the uh the kb lake one combined with the radeon graphics that one had that issue as well that i tested so that's not something that i've like come across in modern gaming laptops at least to that degree but that said that that sort of behavior does cause an interesting, just interesting results sometimes when doing game benchmarks, right? So say I want to benchmark this 6800M laptop. Now, 
if I go in and run just like, say, one pass of Shadow of the Tomb Raider, chances are that result is going to be higher than the subsequent run because, you know, you're going to get your boosting all out of the way in that first run, temperatures will be lower, but then over time things start getting worse, and then over time the results uh, potentially get worse. So it's kind of hard for me mm -hmm. to, like, juggle these things and try and represent, um, you know, what people actually see. So the way I get around that is in the instance of Shadow, in the Shadow of the Tomb Raider, um, I might only report the highest uh, setting level, um, the frame rate from that. But what I do to get that is, well, in some of my other videos, I do game benchmarks where I do mm -hmm. all setting levels because I think in laptops it's important to do all setting levels because, you know, people might want, want to run a different... You'll probably be turning down more settings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it matters more. So Than desktop. Yeah, so what I do is I start lowest to highest so then by the time i get to highest in theory the machine is you know more warmed up than it otherwise would have been so i think it better represents the performance you would actually see when it comes time to you know play that game for like an hour or so because although that only takes like 20 minutes i think 20 to 30 minutes generally you hit, you hit uh, full heat saturation and the machine isn't gonna get any hotter anyway so that's what mm -hmm. i try to do to counter that because yeah, I don't think most other people are doing that. I think they just run like one or two test passes and they're like, oh, cool, look, it's yeah. doing good. And then my results are like a bit behind others because I try to factor in, you know, if you're running a game on one of these machines for like an hour, it's probably going to do better in like the first five minutes compared to, you know, an hour in. The one thing I would suggest, though, too, and again, this is coming from someone that tested a lot of MX, you know, low-end graphics cards, is that people tend to warm it up just running, I don't know, let's say Metro Last Light on loop. And how much CPU does that actually use in the can benchmark? Not a lot. But that, when you saw that yo-yoing a frame rate I talked about, that's running the division two in co-op that's running battlefield online that's the one thing you also i would just suggest people really need to look out for when they're watching laptop reviews is that if you just do one or the other you're like you really want to make sure you're like doing full blast on the cpu and gpu because that's the real world gaming and it is rare now it used to happen way more 10 years ago but the amount of times uh, but i have still seen it the yo-yoing frame rate on some designs i don't see it on my studio laptop but then again i would hope not yeah when i do thermal testing so i do cpu a to 64 and gpu heaven gpu benchmark i run both those at the same time i let it go for half an hour just so things can settle and then uh, half an hour in, I'll start doing my actual testing. So I do thermal testing with all the built-in profiles that the laptop has. So, you know, mm -hmm. you might have like a silent mode, a balanced mode, and then a performance mode. So I'll leave the stress test running on both the CPU and GPU for a further 30 minutes on each one of those. So I try to record uh, worst case temperatures and clock speeds. So that takes a lot of time. And honestly, I don't think people realize that, but hopefully it's worth it. I don't know how many I don't think many other people consider these types of things. They just run like the game benchmark for like three minutes and they're like, oh, here's the FPS. Mm -hmm. This is, we're done. Well, that's why, you know, I don't try to compete with like someone like you or Hardware Unboxed where it's like, no, you really are. I'm aware of how much effort it takes to do a really good thing, like uh, analysis of these products. The one thing I try to do in my reviews is I actually use it day to day for like a month and then it then i will have caught that issue yep. but you know if i was my own ha you know if this is my main pieces of content we're reviewing products i'm aware i i will say thank you <laughs> i'm aware of how much effort that takes i say the same thing to hardware and box when he comes on
Yeah, they do a crazy amount. Clean Sweep writes in, how do you feel about the quality of laptop cooling solutions and thermal interfaces in general? Has there been any improvement in the last two years, in your opinion? It seems like manufacturers still either block off airflow, a pie, mediocre, bad Tim, or both, depending on the design and target market. Yeah, so I think it's definitely, there have been some improvements. Um, vapor chamber coolers seem to be more common these mm-hmm. days. Still not, like, by all means, not everywhere. Usually only in the higher-end products, but I have noticed that being more common than before. Uh, Also, liquid metal, that's something that they've actually started using in the last 12 months or so. Before then, it was... Even in the PS5. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, before then, it was only, you know, an enthusiast thing where you go in and do it yourself. But now they're shipping it with liquid metal from the factory. Uh, Something I actually found interesting with this um, recent uh, RX 6800M launch, um, they noted that... So this... Strix G15 has liquid metal on both yeah. the CPU and the GPU. Now, I don't know if anyone else caught that, but with other laptops, even from ASUS, uh, prior to that, they've only done liquid metal on the CPU. They don't do it on the GPU. They don't do it on the NVIDIA graphics. And I asked why, mm-hmm. and they said, because it's diminishing returns, the CPU is much hotter and we don't need to do it on the GPU. So that had me wondering, does that mean these Radeon graphics run hotter to the point where you need to use liquid metal? So I don't have the answer to that yet because mm. I haven't tested thermals just yet. But I thought that was uh, interesting that they were using liquid metal on the new Radeon graphics. Well, I can't comment on if it, you know, quote unquote, needs it. Yeah. But what I can comment on is, and again, this comes from the NV15 Studio I got last year, I was really impressed by HP's breakdown of the design choices they made. And they were just very frank. They're like, so we can spend $20 on significantly better vapor cooling and good thermal paste or liquid metal. And how much does this liquid metal cost per laptop? A dollar extra. Or we can pay Intel an extra 30 bucks to get the eight core instead of the six core. It's actually cheaper for us to just get good cooling (laughs) and buy a cheaper processor, which again, it outperformed its peers with bigger or more expensive, uh, higher core count processors half the time. I think that's just a logical decision that if I was AMD and I'm looking at Intel mandate fast memory, mandate this for better benchmarks, I'd be like, why don't we tell them they have to use liquid metal? Pay the extra dollar so our GPU performs better. Like this is common sense, guys. Yeah. I guess it also depends because like other companies like Lenovo have said that they're not going to do liquid metal because mm-hmm. well, I think in the case of Lenovo, they do more uh, like on-site repair kind of things. And they said to me that if they were going out doing liquid metal and all this stuff, uh, the way they would be applying it would be, you know, like automated by machine, which would mean they would have to ship the laptop back to like a service center for them to actually work on rather than mm. turn up, get the job done and leave kind of thing. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, there's that consideration, too. And, of course, I don't know if AMD did mandate that. I'm just spitballing, you know, that if I was AMD, I would say, please, can you yeah. spend the dollar to give us that thermal advantage over NVIDIA, guys? Um, Patrick Grow writes in, do you think there's room for thick, and he put T-H-I-C-C, laptops? I see a lot of paper-thin laptops that sound like jet engines once a single Chrome tab opens up because there's so much focus on sleek design that is thermal and battery limitations. Am I alone in my love? For FAA maximum battery, so the flight, you know, maximum size battery you can have and travel on an airplane, for those listening, and enough volume for fans to function uh, optimally? 
So the first thing that came to mind was that 11900K laptop that I recently tested. Again, as mentioned, yeah. that is super thick, but in the quietest operating mode, even when you're running like Cinebench or playing a game and it's still performing quite well, it's the fans are basically the same as when it's idle. Like, it was actually pretty impressive, but that's because, you know, it's so, so big. It's got all that metal inside. It's got the capacity to dissipate the heat. Uh, that said, there have been some kind of more mid-sized laptops that I've found still do run quite well, even in the lower performance modes. So the fans don't necessarily have to go crazy. It just depends on, you know, how much performance you want. And I always say, like, it's it's better when there's user choice and you've got fan curve control because some laptops don't even give you the option. You're just forced one way or the other. I like being able to uh, change it because if you can change it, you know, if you don't want higher fans, then you can sacrifice some of that performance and turn the fans down. Or if you've got headphones on, you don't care how loud it is, you can just max it out. So I think having choice is always best, but yeah, it depends on the laptop and what options they actually give you. I mean, I would just say again, I wish they would design laptops to the limit to a certain extent, but not do it to the point that you ruin the size of the laptop. Like, just give me something that won't throttle and can run 24-7. And I think that that's... Because, right, if you look at this question he's asking, it's like, why can't they make it a little thicker and give me all of this? And I would say, or why can't they just not try to overload the laptop, right? You know, keep it that thin and just stop trying to cram. Unless you can do it well, and I think Razer does it better than you'd expect half the time. Just put in a 30... I mean, like... Some of the laptops with like 1650 GDR6s run as fast as like 2060 Max-Q laptops at the time. And that's just like, well, you could say, well, if they made it thicker, they could have turned the fan up. I would also say, or they could have just put a much cheaper graphics card, man, and gotten the same performance. And that'd probably be cheaper than, you know, making it thicker, actually. Yeah, it's all trade-offs at the end of the day. You just got to pick, you know, you can't have everything, basically. You got to pick little bits that you want over other parts. And that's why I find laptop um, design so interesting, you know, because it it really is real engineering. It's not, oh, we made, again, they made the 3090 almost as big as an Xbox Series X, like literally almost as big as one. And it's one card. It's like, yeah, you made it more powerful because you made it use over 350 watts. But then you go to laptops and it's like, no, you actually need to know what you're doing here. You can't just make it bigger as a to cheat basically yeah it kind of makes it hard for me though because people are always like just tell me what the perfect laptop is and then i'm like i know well, it depends <laughs> yeah and it depends on the year like you see some companies make great strides like answering what you know someone said about tim and stuff i mean i think at least when it comes to like dell hp in general those two and asus their designs are getting wildly better than they were five years ago like they're really they look fantastic but there are some that just make a weird corner cutting even aces sometimes it's just like out of nowhere like what the heck was that model yeah i think that's always just going to be the case when you got different price points you need to hit but yeah overall i would say in general over the last few years there's absolutely no question that things have gotten significantly better in terms of laptops i think it really started with nvidia gtx 10 series mm-hmm yeah, I'd say that, and then again, just in, Intel actually kicking it into high gear when Zen 1 launched. Yeah. Um, all right, final question here. Adrian Strochke writes in and says, Why did no one care about the Intel Core i7-8809G? This is the 14 nanometer quad core 
from Intel, plus a 14 nanometer 24 compute unit Vega, plus four gigabytes of HBM, all within 100 watts. Where is the 710 nanometer vo- version? Will Z deliver this to us? There's a lot of random things thrown out there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, because that was quite the unicorn chip that I was blown away came out. And I reviewed one, and I thought it was, it, in the version I tested, it was, it was pretty terrible, actually. Yeah. I think it was HP's fault. I was trying to remember what that was, because, yeah, I, I remember now. I think I had one, too, in a uh, one of the Intel Nux. But it was, um, this was like three or four years ago, so I can't really remember the results. At the time, though, I do remember thinking, this is pretty crazy, Intel Plus, uh, rate radeon graphics in one thing but yeah i guess why why didn't that take off are there better alternatives yeah i guess i guess it would depend on whether or not intel you know their own graphics that they think that's better or maybe you know partnerships between the two companies might be some problems there i, I don't I have no idea i think it could be a, a number of things why it didn't continue well, I think that there's several things to unpack. It's just, when it comes to HBM, it would seem like that's the most logical thing to put in a laptop. And people would be good to remember there's a version of RDNA 1 with HBM that's in Apple. You know, Apple was willing to pay the big bucks for that. But HBM requires good cooling to not have significant throttling because it's 3D stacked. The top layer of the the memory, you know, because it's stacked memory, that's what HBM is, is cooled better than the bottom one. So you need to have like really good cooling so that the a- the bottom layer isn't heating and throttling the whole unit or making it crash. Um, and so that just means you're going to end up spending a lot of extra money for 20% more performance, basically. And now it'll take up less room too. So you maybe put a bigger battery in it. It is better all things equal, but it's also just a lot more expensive. And I just think NVIDIA has gotten so good at making compact, uh, discrete cards for laptop that it's kind of made this retreat, this idea for a little bit here. Because again, like I thought AMD was going to take over, a, you know, laptops with APUs when Zen 1 was announced. And then MX150, 10 watt graphics card stronger than AMD's APU. And it, let's be honest, the size of that die, probably, I'm not kidding, it probably costs $20 to put in the laptop. Yeah, I was going to say it was the MX150 even out when this came out i, I can't remember but yeah i it i don't re- it would have been around then when it was announced i remember it was announced uh, yeah i remember it being announced like after some apus had come out I, I don't it's around the same time frame yeah well that might be why that would make sense to me yeah and i mean so unless someone's going to put in all this money for a custom thing then that's when it is. And if that custom thing is HBM, will be really expensive. Um, and again, the, I only tested it in one HP laptop. It was a Spectre. That thing throttled like crazy because of the HBM. So that was a, it yo-yoed. Mm. Even though it was a 100 watt laptop, it was a problem. Um, seems like I've found all of the laptops that yo-yo frame rates and you haven't, you've just been lucky enough to run into any of them. Yeah, well, I guess some, one of the problems I've been having lately is a lot of the review units I got sent to the highest spec config available which mm-hmm. means, you know, if I ask for a model, there might be a 3060 or lower version, then I get sent the 3080 model, which doesn't actually represent what most people are going to buy. I think it's because the company's like, ooh, I want to look better, so I'm going to send my best thing, yeah. which I understand, but well, of course. Sucks. Yeah, and I've got this predilection for weird half-budget laptops that I think just makes me gravitate towards problems, <laughs> to be honest. But, um, well, I mean, that's all of the questions... Um, 
I had here. I don't know. Here's a here's a final one. I'll throw at you. What do you expect from Intel Z later? At, well, really at the beginning of next year. Yeah, I just, I don't really know. I mean, it sounds interesting, but at the same time, what I I guess what I think is like you know it's essentially a first generation thing. So like, how what problems are they going to be? What software support going to be like? Drivers, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, if it, it, Intel doesn't have the money to have some decent drivers. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. They don't. <laughs> I mean, um, but, you know, we've seen spectacular failures before, so I guess we'll see. Um, at least for my leaks, though, I'm excited. Let's just say that there. Uh, well, then I guess that's it. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to discuss? Uh, anything? Anything you want to bring up? I know it's we've been going almost two hours, so you're probably... Well, I think I get to claim I'm more tired because it's midnight here, but... In fact, I have the NVIDIA press conference running next to me with captions on in case I notice something crazy oh, yeah. so far. Not just stop. I'm seeing nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it I did. forgot. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, you want to plug yourself, though? I mean, you know, let everyone know where they can find you. Yeah, uh, if you're interested in gaming laptop content, uh, Jared's Tech YouTube channel. Lots of reviews, game benchmarks, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and there will be a link in the description for that. And again... Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, really tailoring this to making sure we can cover the latest announcements when this drops. Um, Otherwise, there were a lot of people that were looking forward to hearing this, so I bet they'll be excited to see it pop up in their feeds. And I guess I should stop rambling. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead 
at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Alkawari, Frederick Cloud, James Crasta, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, the Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Lodge, ABG, Travis Gooding, the Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Disaru, Daniel Hyde, a guy in Pennsylvania 81, Nathan Mose, Cola Dict. Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name Is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Rubert Ducks, Michael McGee, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Grow, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Hardforum.com, Sam McArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sand, Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Power, Stu, Elenia, Nanya, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galanowski, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Kerman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Denovan Russell, Zebra Zever, Zlicky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick JS, Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Dehuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Ryan Riggleman, Samuel, Kai Wu, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Schneider, Mike Sharona, Y. Truey, Roman, William W. Draper, Hare Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy NG, Mads Beechhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Z Jits, Shield TV, Couteau, Dame P, John Will- Wizink, Sam Venzel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Jessica Wiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindsay, MJB1, SS, and Jensen Wang. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.